everybody and welcome to the very 125th Shut Up and Sit Down podcast and the first, the nascent pod creature of 2021. At least it should be in theory, we're recording this live in 2020. This is a podcast about board games. My name's Quentin Smith and I am joined, roll call, by Tom Brewster. Hello. Matt Lees. Hello. Ava Foxfort. Hi. Cookie Monster. Just sort of, I don't know. That was I'm going to add that in post. Don't worry. I'll add it. <laughs> oh, great. <laughs> Perfect. Look, and now we've got him on all, on, like, on tape. He just jumped to the room. I, I this heard his name. Will be a very. Sp- oh, my goodness. <laughs> Let, this w- <laughs> help. Sorry what, sorry. what was the reason we don't do podcasts with four people again? I forget. <laughs> but the important thing is this is our Game of the Year podcast. We're recording this at the very end of 2020, which we can all agree has been a great year. And it's going to get greater because in this podcast, we're all going to share. We're all going to unveil what we have each individually chosen as our game that is the best game of the year. I'm excited. How's everybody else feeling? I am excited. I'm ready. I I can't wait to hear what everyone else has picked because it'll be good and nice. I too am excited to hear about some good games. Matt, <laughs> early impressions? I'm not excited at all. I'm not excited at all. Why? I'm not. Who I'm hurt just, you? I'm not. Who hurt me? 2020 hurt me, Tom. Oh, well, why, why, why you got to bring the mood down? But it's not 2020 anymore. Yeah, it's 2021, Matt. Everything's fine over here. <laughs> I just, uh, we'll get into it later. Uh, well, I'm going to have fun, but I'm not excited. This is stressful. Wow. <laughs> do you, I, I, I don't know. Do you want to start us off, Matt? Because I get the feeling it, it but, might be sort of more exciting after Matt. Or do we want Matt in the middle of this podcast like a weird sort of landmine? I think we do Matt first. I think we want to get whatever whatever horrible thing is going on in Matt's system out of him. <laughs> and then if he's not okay at that point, maybe he can leave. <laughs> <laughs> no, I just, I just, I, I've done quite well this year of just getting my head down, carrying on with things. But it was when... I was asked to try and decide what was my favourite board game of 2020 that uh, my brain had to accept the nature of time flow this year and accept that a year has passed since the last year <laughs> and made me realise how little I'd done, like how, how few games I'd played in terms of, in terms of new things, how, how little time I'd managed to actually carve out to physically play board games with people um, and found myself going through all the big games I'd reviewed and all the games I reviewed this year and just going, a lot of them didn't even come out this year. Like, you know, stuff that came out years before so i just found the whole process just just rubbish rather than looking back at this this beautiful selection box of of delightful things to choose from instead i just found myself going well you know here's here's the handful of things i've actually managed to try this year um it just feels a bit like organizing a big awards do and then you know you turn up and it's in a barn that's partially on fire and the compare is (laughs) drunk before it started and i just think oh this (laughs) This Wait, could... Is the compass still in the burning bar? <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're really drunk. I, I get what you mean. I get what you mean. And I have a little bit of that because I think that there is definitely like, it has been a hard year. I've definitely not played as many games as I would have liked to. But there is also the, the games that I most want to talk about for this are like, are games that have like got me through. <laughs> Either yes. because... I played them just before everything went on and like the hope of getting to play them sometime in the future has been really, really like 
oh no i am really excited to just be sat in a pub and just get to play this game with some random people and that'll be so lovely or the things that i've been playing online with people that um yeah have just been that's been a big part of what's been sustaining me and getting me well that's a really that's a really interesting thing i think i think the thing that i got frustrated with is the criteria that generally you would use for something like this where you would think well if it's going to be the best game of this year is that the best game you've been playing this year or is it the best game that came out this year and you kind of think it's probably the latter or at least it kind of feels like it should be um but then i also have a lot of issues i don't want to be like mr negative andrew here but um (laughs) I have increasingly a lot of issues with with playing games online. I'm having a lot of fun with them, don't get me wrong, but my precious sensibilities about the medium are getting really quite frustrated at the moment because the things that translate to playing games, board games online, um, are just not the same qualities that I look for in physical things. And I found myself, whilst I've been having a really nice time, and I think what you say is bang on of like, you know, having a good time and getting through by playing board games online with people, um, I'm non- under no illusion that a lot of the board games that I'm enjoying online, I might not enjoy as much in person. And a lot of the board games I play online and don't really get on with that well, I might have loved in person. And so the whole thing just feels muddy and sticky and bad. But that's to be expected when there's more stuff going on in the world, etc. you know? Yeah, I think... So you are currently in the middle of this muddy, bad field there's a barn nearby with a that's on fire it's on fire compare in it yep yeah you it's dark it's cold Uh you didn't dress appropriately and in this environment you are describing (laughs) what did you choose (laughs) what is your game of 2020 what game are you gonna sit down with in that barn as it burns around you? wait 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 step back step back step back right i just want to say one one thing which is that like one thing to flag up here is like None of this is going to be like objectively the best game of the year in any way. Everything is opinions. This is all subjectivity. Yeah? Everything is subjectivity. And everyone's subjectivity is like under huge assault from this like global ridiculous thing. So like it's okay. Just I want to just set expectations that, that like I think these answers are going to be really, really bizarre because they've been made in a really bizarre year. And that reflects the time that we've been in rather than the reality of what is <laughs> and game matt what's your subjectivity telling you about games in 2020 i completely understand that and you know i completely get that you know it's all going to be subjective not everyone's going to have played everything let alone looked at everything but i like to feel that i have at least had like a broad selection of things to try before before coming up with something like yeah. this and this year i just don't feel i have so controversially I don't know if I have a game of the year. I think my game of the year, if I'm completely honest about the game I've played the most, enjoyed the most, and and has been the thing that's got me through and had a lot of fun with, is once again, Quacks of Bloody Quedlinburg. But that's... <laughs> <laughs> but that... That's a great answer. A great you, no, answer. This is, it's exactly what I wanted from this podcast, that your game of 2020 is in fact a game that we we reviewed in 2019 but i think came out in 2017 exactly that's fine right it's like <laughs> i look back at the stuff we've reviewed this year that's really kind of blown me away i'm super still fond of, of war of whispers and that's something i'd love to be sitting and playing around the table i absolutely adored um playing nemesis and it being this ridiculous over-the-top thing and but again it's like everything has just been so muddied now like i'm so i'm so hungry for an experience like that but it's i can't tell if it's just somebody who's been in isolation for a long time and is just hungry for any human touch it's like do i actually want to really really dive back into you know a six hour 
uh, game of roads and boats? Or is it just that my uh, my desire to be around a table shunting cubes around has atrophied to the point where I'm just desperate for anything involving bits of wood? <laughs> Matt's game of the year, a bit of wood. <laughs> <laughs> So, I mean, let's use this as an opportunity to dive deeper into Quacks, which I think, I mean, if people aren't aware, Quacks is a really quite simple, almost, I think a lot of people would say too simple, very luck-heavy game of pulling tiles out of a bag and hopefully not blowing yourself up with your own greed. Yeah. Uh, but, you, so, when you talk about replaying it, have you been replaying it with the Herb Witches? Have you just been showing it to new people? Yeah, you know, I'd, I'd be dabbling with the Herb Witches. It doesn't really add that much. It's fine. Um, I know that the Alchemist expansion is around and is about, but only in German, uh, which is uh, something I haven't uh, stepped into yet. No, I've mainly just been introducing it to people again and again and again. I, You know, I had a bad time trying to introduce it to my in-laws, and they were like, oh, this is very complicated. This is about halfway through, and I was said, on the box! It is designed for people who are 10 years old. Um, <laughs> but most people I've introduced it to and played it with um, have just been delighted by it. And yeah, it doesn't have depth. Um, and it, it arguably is way too luck-based. But I think, in a way, I find that quite relaxing. Because I just think, you know what? This is going to be my basic strategy. And rather than doing the sensible thing that you would usually do of being like, well, I'm not going to take this risk, it just encourages me to just take risks all the time because I appreciate that it's going to be some games you're going to be tremendously lucky and some games you're not. And it just allows me to have more fun with it. And there's just so many simple bits of flair in that game that I I appreciate more and more as I go on. I love the fact that the deck of cards, the event cards at the start of each round, like they're just, they're great. Like it's it's always like either everyone gets something good or... The person who's doing badly gets something good or everyone gets an interesting little decision. Um, I I just think it's just such a delight and I can completely understand why a lot of people wouldn't like it. But in terms of when I've been like, you know, we've, we played a bunch of it on Tabletop Simulator and it works okay. I mean, obviously it's not the same as being like around the table, but you still get that kind of everybody swearing and everyone getting stressed and everyone getting fed up. Um, but I, yeah, I, I have been finding that actually, yeah, it's like going back to nostalgic things really. Cause I've, I've felt very unsure about a lot of the digital stuff. And I think it's we've talked about, me and Tom have talked about a bunch when we've been streaming things a lot, cause we've been playing a lot of games on Tabletopia mm. and on Tabletop Simulator, but I've felt very uneasy about lots of things, um, because of that. Like we played, um, oh, what's the name of the, uh, Whistle Mountain. Whistle Mountain. Whistle Mountain, which I think if it was a game I played on a table with my hands, I really, really would have liked an awful lot. But um, I did enjoy it, but so much of the game was just po constant points being, and constantly picking up little points tokens and adding to a big stack of a pile of little stars that are like points. And obviously in the digital game, that's awful. You know, <laughs> you don't want to be constantly having to pick up pointless little things. This reminds me of a question that we get asked sometime, which is, you know, how many times do you have to play a board game before reviewing it? And the answer, which I, I think we can all agree on, is you just know. Yeah. You know, you might know after one game roughly how you feel if it's a simple game or, you know, there's not you've explored it all. You might take five, six games, but eventually you know. And something I've felt really acutely when playing games digitally is that feeling just some just it's it's not there no. like i often really struggle to know how i feel about things after playing it digitally no and, that, and that's exactly it and it, it's the difficult thing if you have to play something digitally to get a sense of whether or not it might be interesting or might be good then you need to carve out the time to go and play it physically to, to find out because there are so many differences and 
yeah it's just it's just like having your radar being a bit kind of wrong-headed and i think that's i think that whole thing of like you just know is is the skill of being a critic and actually in my younger years i would feel like i knew but then keep going anyway and keep doing it more and every time i did that the piece of work i would come up with at the end and even like you know the rating i would, would just be worse um you, there is a point where you've looked at something too much and you just lose your inability to to explain what it is um yeah for better or worse but yeah um i think that it's just the nature of a lot of this stuff has just really kind of muddied me and it means that the things i enjoy and have enjoyed playing online are things that i know well like you know things that i've played physically enough to to just know you know this is the difference so i've been playing a lot of roll for the galaxy a lot of terra mystica you know a lot of things where i'm able to just know the differences because I, i'm familiar with the the basic experience enough I think it's uh, I think it's really interesting that like there's definitely like the board games are a weird kind of alchemy like you know there's a little bit of theater there's objects and physicality there's ideas and concepts and maths that are feeding into something and those are all, all present and then they turn into something magic and mm. actually removing physicality from it even if you can replace it with something that is functionally a bit similar you know that there's something that's not there and you don't have the the theater in the same way and you not being able to replicate that means you really can't yeah i don't know there's a couple of games we're going to talk about i might i might mention briefly in a bit which i played towards the end of this year that might be my game of the year if i'd played them in real life and you could tell you what they actually feel like to play because <laughs> they also might be a bit bobbins i feel i think that's a really good point Ava, and i personally feel like you've made me realize I've played so much more mathsy stuff this year because so much of what I've played is online. I think the stuff that survives that transition to digital the most is like Euro games mm. or mathematical card games, you know, stuff that avoids the theater and the theme because, you know, that's so much of that is lost when you go into a digital game. A bluffing game could not be anyone's game of the year this year, right? <laughs> like, but then, but then you go on to these things like, you know, Tabletop Simulator and a lot of the most popular things being played on there are things like, secret hitler but people are playing that game very differently they're playing it as a mm. logic puzzle which yeah. to me the idea of being like let's take a game like that and just play it like a logic puzzle seems like a really dull thing to do with your time but you know <laughs> each to their own um but yeah it's i've definitely been enjoying things like board game arena which actually just seems to offer a different thing like rather than trying to abstract physicality they just go well look you know we're just gonna streamline a lot of the, the maths and functionality of this and in return you're going to lose a hell of a lot of the aesthetics and readability and experience but it means things like russian railroad suddenly i'm like hell yeah i'll play this was it yokohama we played a bunch of I, yeah, I, yeah yeah it's like these games usually or even uh you know through the ages playing through the ages um on the app is great I, I cannot imagine ever playing that physically just because the idea <laughs> of setting it up kind of gives me a mild the heart tremor and then even things like you know we played um fury of dracula the steam version of that which is you know still work in progress and we did a little stream of that recently um yeah kind of made me realize that when that is in a good state whilst the, the drama of sitting around a table with people is something you can't really get on that there's so much fiddle in that game that having a system that stops it and makes it so that you cannot break it you cannot mess up by accident you kind of think yeah this this actually might be ideal but yeah, I think mm. a lot of the stuff we would usually lean towards. And I think that's interesting. Like somebody, there was a comment on the review I did of Curious Cargo, which I, I thought about just being like, honestly, 
and apologies to you know designer and publishers of curious cargo but i was like maybe it's just curious cargo but i then my critic in my head was like you haven't played enough this year like to choose anything i'm sorry like you, just, <laughs> I, you haven't um but somebody was like it's odd that you recommend a game like this because this is actually quite complicated and and usually you're thinking about much more like welcoming stuff and i think it's because we do lean towards these experiences these sitting around the table and and having a fun with people um but we've just had a lot less of that so actually like hell if i'm gonna play something i want to dive into a pool of crunch and that's my game of the year <laughs> <laughs> not not quacks of quedlinburg which was like a footnote but that whole 10 minute yes. like, thing yes. that was your game that's of the my year. game of the year <laughs> that's I, I tell you what i mean we can only go up from here but i, I think that was a, a pretty honest like i i thought that was that i think i think a game of the year discussion in 2020 without that would have been missing something mm. so well i appreciate you taking the sadness bullet well for i apologize for not just turning up with the name of a game like i was supposed to <laughs> uh goodness gracious tom you've been quiet do you want to lead us into our discussion of your game of 2020 yes. well i was thinking that this discussion is interesting because it doesn't apply to my game of the year I think, in its own way. Or maybe the game that I chose is a symptom of this year, potentially the fact that it's my game of the year. My game of the year, I just had to stop myself from saying Glenmore Chronicles 2. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> my game of the year is Thousand Year Old Vampire. Uh, Woo! Woo! Wow, that's the first game that came out this year on our Game of the Year podcast. Hello. Uh, Tom from the past here, uh, slash future, uh, in the context of this podcast, but past if you're listening to it now, never mind. Uh, I just wanted to very quickly jump in here and just remark on how I was so proud that I was talking about a game that came out this year. Uh, it didn't come out this year. It came out in 2019. That's going to be a recurring theme of this podcast. So if you're a stickler for dates and dates being um, correct... Uh, don't don't listen to this podcast uh bye uh thousand year old vampire uh, for those that don't know is a solo rpg hence it dodges the i haven't played games with people this year because you could only play it by yourself where you play uh, where you, it's a journaling game where you detail the life and times of a very very old vampire uh, it's a journaling game. You play at any pace. You answer prompts in creative ways. Once you've built your standard character, you just go through the book and you answer prompts and you write down uh, the results of those prompts. So it's mostly a creative writing exercise, but uh, a few of the rules make it into a game that's more about how limiting memory can be as your vampire forgets things as often as they have new experiences. And there's a sort of meta aspect where in the game you keep your vampire has a physical diary and if you lose or misplace that diary, you literally do not know what happened in the past and the game reinforces its themes by it being a game about forgetting where you physically erase parts of the story as you write it um it is honestly one of the most intelligent and smart designs in so few pages to produce such uh, a thematic and rich um piece of of rpg i don't know how else you would describe it uh it's just amazing i think it's a it's a wonderful wonderful game one thing that i thought was really interesting about thousand year vampire thousand year old i always call it thousand year vampire i did in the review i kept calling it thousand year vampire over and over again when the game is thousand year old vampire. it's like hundred year egg is that a thing <laughs> or was year it egg, decade egg bigger than before bigger than Wait, before what, thousand, egg. thousand year egg before egg no, <laughs> no there's definitely a thing where it's like you have an egg and you leave it for ages and then you eat it 
but yeah, that's a Chinese <laughs> thing. It's their equivalent of ch- cheese, and like we find their yeah, eggs repulsive. Thousand year egg, multi cheese repulsive. Yeah. Thousand, what, year, thousand year egg. I really want Tim Hutchings to make a new game called Thousand Year Egg, where you play as an egg that's been left <laughs> in, a, in a fridge for like ages, and then you have to detail how it affects the person once they eat that egg. That'd be great. Oh wow! Uh, the thing that I thought was really interesting about Thousand Year Old Vampire, though specifically, is that. For ages, I've found role-playing games kind of an inaccessible genre. Like, I love the idea of RPGs, but I can never find the time or group or creative energy to host, like, an entire campaign. And, like, you know, there's always that kind of classic joke where things just don't go the way that the DM intends. You spend ages building this world. You spend ages building characters. You spend ages putting your time and effort into into this thing that the players then just, like, don't engage with. And I think... Ultimately, what I've realized by playing Thousand Year Old Vampire, a game that is obviously a solo RPG, so it doesn't have that uh, your uh, things not going your way because they literally go exactly how you intend them to. But it's a a flaw in the systems that I was using to play role playing games, not the game itself. Um, like everyone, it, it's it's a fault of Dungeons and Dragons that it heavily relies on its players and player input for atmosphere rather than guiding the process in a meaningful way. And it's why it's a shame to see D&D use as a synonym for RPG because it feels inherently limiting to the kind of creative bounds of the genre. And Thousand Year Old Vampire and other solar RPGs, I've got a huge stack of them now that I'm slowly chunking through, just feel so genius because they're games that put that effort into making the game deliberately atmospheric and engaging without entirely relying on the player to do so if that makes yes, sense. Yes, yes. Uh, I think that's something that Matt and I both really felt when we did um, one of the site's rare RPG reviews, but we, Matt and I were playing a Blades in the Dark campaign, and to go from D- you know something like D&D to that is is a revelation as to how much work designers put into uh, letting the game mechanics and the the game world provide the atmosphere for you, as opposed to sort of giving you a blank slate in the way D&D does and says, mm. you know, Hope, hopefully you tell a good story, question mark? Yeah. Well, it's also just that, like, with most rpgs what you're doing is sitting around the table with some people and you're you're shouting and talking and chatting with each other maybe with a few props or so so what you're what you're doing is interfacing with another person whereas with a solo rpg which i admittedly haven't actually done much of this but like the thing that's exciting to me about it is that like you're not interfacing with another person you're interfacing directly with your own imagination like you're literally like pulling stuff there's no chance of someone else like being like oh actually can we just have a little break for crisps because i'm like and ruining like a dramatic (laughs) moment because you're right in there like i don't know which requires a bit of a leap but also then there's no obstacles after Tom talked about this, I picked it up and um, along those same lines as you're describing, Ava, um, my experience of playing this game just felt not like self-care, which is an overused pairing of words anyway, but, you know, to play an RPG alone and also to do something in, in a way that's really a creative exercise should feel so much like, I don't know, there sh- that sounds like a process that's fraught with obstacles, but... For me, it was just such a smooth, sort of self-loving, creative, but creative in a way that I knew no one else would read, and that the game encourages you to destroy. I mean, Tom played this game digitally, but if you play it physically, there's something so marvelously pointless about having a game that tells you to do to create fiction, very short pieces of fiction, but then also tells you to destroy that fiction. You know, it, you're, <laughs> in a, in a 
I mean, we all live in an age now where anything creative or anything positive is supposed to be put online to build up our profiles. To have a game which is almost willfully offline and then willfully self-destructive? Such a great antidote to, I don't know, modern life? Yeah. Do I sound crazy? No, no, that's bang on. I, I think that's the interesting thing is that there's there's definitely something that um, within our generation has been forgotten. Uh, the, the idea of why you do. I mean, you know, not to be, um, you know, crazy hammer and sickle boy but it's obviously the fact that like uh capitalism has kind of made us all try and look for for value in everything we do um just means that's a kind of a natural end game to it but you we do remember that actually if you just sit down and and have the luxury to just have some time to just sit and play a musical instrument or sit and write um for no reason it's a really pleasant experience um so yeah, I guess, you know, it's the same, I guess, as people keeping diaries in a way of like writing every day, but no one will ever read it apart from them. But I think, yeah, the, the process of having something where it's like, hey, do some creative writing and then destroy it actually gets to the heart of the fact that it's not about a lot of this stuff with artistic endeavors. It's not about being good at them or even getting good at them. It's just there's in something that you in doing it that will scratch an itch in you as a human, which will make you feel better. <laughs> it's what's yes. actually really interesting about the review itself like as in when i was making the review so i did my first playthrough of thousand year old vampire i created a character i had a great time and then i went right well now it's time to sit down and write the review and i start writing the review and i think well i probably need a couple more examples than just the first one so i should start another campaign and as soon as i started that second character like the will to continue it evaporated i don't think that's any fault of the game because i've played it after the fact and enjoyed it but because i was directly trying to trying to force out an interesting story because i knew <laughs> that that was going to become work that was going to go online mm. i just enjoyed it less it became work through the act of it having a purpose if that makes sense yeah um yeah so yeah that's that's my game of the year thousand year old vampire oh also there's one tiny footnote actually sort of linked to our whole discussion of of capital and consuming um thousand year old vampire and solo rpgs uh, as a whole um feel incredibly sustainable to hop around in um i feel bad that i've not played more thousand year old vampire but i don't feel as bad as i would if it were a boxed big game taking up shelf space because ultimately these games uh you can quite easily flit around between them because they have so little environmental impact at the end of the day they're either printed media most people uh, in the scene are sort of looking for sustainable sources of paper and so on and so forth or they're entirely digital and it feels like hopping on with the sort of cult of the new feels more okay to do in the space of solo RPGs because a product isn't existing in a physical space that's contributing to buying and consuming and all that sort of lot. So, oh, I mean, that that is maybe a good time for me to like do a bit of an admission, which I don't think I've said on Shut Up and Sit Down before. But, you know, with Matt being, you know, honest earlier and us all talking about how 2020 was a hard year, it was doing the Etherfields review at the end of this year, which was, the, the I mean, I think... Uh, Matt and Tom, you received some big Kickstarter games, you know, like <laughs> like at the beginning of this year or last year. But Etherfields, with all the Kickstarter add-ons that Awakening Realms sent me, was the biggest box I have ever received a single game in. Like five separate discrete boxes. And, you know, of course, anyone who's seen my review of Etherfields will know that I didn't think it was particularly good. A lot of people in the comments having backers remorse. And, you know, to know that that game, that huge box went up to 30,000 backers. Like, I don't, I don't know how many pallets that is, God. but... This is probably the first year where I've been not able to fully ignore the environmental impact of of, of tabletop. And I think it's something that's weighing on me more. And I think I've managed to pull off that, you know, self-deluding magic trick of just not thinking about it. 
That is getting harder and harder. For, for, for me, it was Batman. It was that Batman game. Oh. When you, <laughs> when you brought that round to, to my place, I, like, I just, I felt sick. Like, I felt sick knowing there were thousands. After we, after we played it, obviously, but after we played it and I realized that the game was just not good, um, in, my, in my opinion, it made me feel a bit ill to know that there were thousands of these just out in the world. I just think, no. Um, particularly is because, you know, mm. I wouldn't mind, but they weren't even good Batman toys. Like, you know, <laughs> like the car model was the same size as a Batmobile toy, but it wasn't a good toy. It was just a <laughs> chunk of plastic. It made me, it made me really feel quite bleak. So I'm glad that, you know, you, you, I'm glad that I'm not alone now. That's nice. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's, I think it's something that, um, I think publishers in Germany have been more aware for this, more aware of this for a while. And it's one of the reasons that German toys prioritize wood over plastic, but you know, it's, it's so many it's a bit of an arms race right now i mean i think we can all agree like you know nice plastic plastic is a very customizable kind of component splashy board games end up having a lot of plastic and then to compete with other board games then you end up needing more plastic and i don't know maybe maybe as a site the four of us could do more to sort of encourage slightly more sustainable board games smaller i mean i think we've been doing that because it's what we all want but you know maybe a little less plastic a little smaller box size to make shipping easier this a new year's resolution live on the podcast i don't know should it be (laughs) i mean i think i think we have been doing that frankly like i think that we we naturally because of what we care about and what we like like the games that i've reviewed this year for example actually the past few months uh under falling skies a single player experience that basically is a free to play print and play tiny thing and if you want more of it then you get this box which has a campaign and it is just densely packed with cardboard and things and is just incredibly like good use of space good use of stuff meanwhile you know curious cargo very small box very small components and does a lot with it i think that we do tend to lean towards that and actually when we do tend to cover these huge huge things it's only because we go hey you know what actually this as an experience is kind of worth it and you know it's yes it's a lot of stuff but you know it's it it hangs together and it's something that you might actually get a lot of joy out of multiple occasions over a period of years or because something is just not very good and unfortunately you know we, we have been trying with that like you know but it's a bit fearful um, and I think a lot of it does come down to that stuff we've talked about a bunch of it being an economic situation of people being happy to spend $300, $400 on these big Kickstarters because they know that even if they don't want the game, they'll be able to resell it at the same value. So it is a bubble economy. And um, I, th- I think that eventually it has to burst. People have to get stung a couple of times um, because I think the people are just going, sure, yeah, I'll I'll drop this money on something because you know the value will hold is definitely not um good (laughs) (laughs) i worry that sounds a little bit like don't buy big kickstarters because we're probably gonna try and devalue them (laughs) (laughs) it's not even it's not about trying i saw comments after etherfield saying that our review had tanked the resale price of etherfields so that's something for us all to think about going into 2021 (laughs) as the site keeps growing um i think they're just like singing the praises of wood and things like you know as much as uh this is a bit weird because when this podcast goes out this is going to be like a month in the past but yesterday we were talking about merv and like 
Merv looks gorgeous. It's got so many good pieces in it and they're all nice bits of wood. I assume, wait, I don't actually know that because I've only played it on the internet. As long as all no, of that stuff's is. wood. <laughs> you're fine, you're fine. It's wood, it's wood. Because, you know, it's gorgeous because it's used wood cleverly because it's used cardboard cleverly. And like the more that people get excited about those things and like good solid productions that don't have a load of plastic in i think that yeah i don't know i think we're just going to keep on doing that aren't we um there is there is someone i know on twitter who's uh, just finished up a phd in uh, sustainable board game design and i think that he's quite keen to carry on his work with that uh, so uh ian i don't know your surname uh, at unmech um, has done some really really good work in that direction and i'm quite excited to see what comes out of that because i think that that i think that there is room to start like really pushing at that and yeah there is i i have i you know a friend who has looked into a lot of costs for this sort of stuff as part of them uh trying to work out how to produce their own games and i, I think you just get to a point where quite quickly it's, it's possible to make things sustainable and um make things out of uh, properly sourced and recycled materials but it's just it's just very expensive the costs of it just get very high very quick so it, it's tricky i think it comes down to the fact that like you know it's it's an unfortunate reality of just in the same way that we can't evade reality in terms of trying to think about like our game my game of the year i can't i can't strip <laughs> away the context of the world right now alongside that it's difficult to try and push for any meaningful change within the industry when it really just comes down to the fact that like there needs to be a broader change in terms of what people actually want and what people care about in terms of these resources and obviously we do care about this stuff but a lot of people still don't and a lot of people if you said to people well this game's going to cost twice as much if it's made sustainably um a lot of people just wouldn't be interested in that so yeah. you know i think i think at the end of the day yes it is frustrating sometimes and maybe we should try and do more for the industry but at the same time it's, it's definitely a problem that's bigger than any of us so we can't really yeah. Uh, beat ourselves up about it too much either i did i do remember covering in the news not long ago that um that hasbro uh had decided to remove all of the disposable plastic from its you know hasbro the biggest of the biggest company making like properly mass mass market often terrible board games um decided to remove all the plastic wrappers and everything from every from everything and switch to paper alternatives and it's like if they're doing that then i do feel like that puts a bit of a pressure on some people oh um, yeah yeah i hope that that will slowly start shifting but yes it's it is capitalism that's the problem yeah <laughs> and, and yeah we're not it's, gonna uh... fix that by repackaging board games um but Sorry. I do, I do think that yeah, as as much as it would suck right now to sit on a very expensive game that you can't resale, um, mm. that unfortunately must become a reality. It's a bit like yeah. it's a bit like with um, you know, people speculating on the property market, etc., and then getting upset when their house isn't worth as much money as it was, rather than being worth more money. It's like, well, no, it's the nature of investment is risk and um having a system whereby people can just put out a box full of miniatures and it doesn't matter whether or not it's a good game it will maintain its value or increase in value is just not that's not how things can work long term so um yeah we did look at a good few games that have no footprint at all this year because in human conditions of course tom reviewed and that had that's in, you can buy and play that fully digitally um same with thousand year old vampire of course um a lot of the solo stuff we covered you know you can either print it out at home or play it online so we haven't done too bad but uh yeah certainly 
food for thought going into uh, 2021, which of course we are already in because this podcast comes out next year. Uh, <laughs> Ava, Hi. do you want to say a little something about your game of 2020? And so just a little bit of preamble in that I want to like, I've decided to split the difference between some things because of uncertainties. Uh, and so <laughs> in some ways, my game of the year was uh, Russian Railroads, as Matt said, like being able to play it on BGA without having to do any of the maths involved in it, but getting to like put my brains through that particular mangle was really satisfying. <laughs> but it also came out about half a decade ago. So that's probably <laughs> not on. At the other end of the spectrum, I played uh, Beyond the Sun and Castles of Tuscany a good few times in the last couple of weeks, but not enough to be sure that I could actually put a big stamp on it and say, yes, this is brilliant and will last the test of ages. And I've okay. only played, uh, well, I've only played some of them digitally and, and all of that sort of stuff. So halfway between those two is one of the last games that I discovered before we went into lockdown in the UK. Um, it actually came out last year, so it is still technically not this year's game. But like, I think most people, it it came to the surface and bubbled to the top this year, and that is the crew. Uh, oh, wonderful! Cool. Yeah, because it is such a delight, and like uh, four hours at a convention playing this into the middle of the night, not long before everything shut down was one of my most joyful memories of this year and something that has been helping get me through knowing that that's something that I'll be able to do again. Um, I got to play it with some people on my birthday in real life and it was one of the few games <laughs> that I got to do that and it is and I played a little bit of it digitally since it's become available there and it is just wonderful. It is all of the emotions and feelings that I love feeling around a table. It is cooperative. It makes your brain crunch. As soon as you make a move, there's like a 50% chance you're immediately going to go, oh no, <laughs> <laughs> which is one of the great feelings. And that's actually a feeling that does translate to playing stuff online. If you play it online with some people in a voice channel, getting to hear someone say, oh no <laughs> after they make a move it's still great it's still brilliant even in that mode and yeah so just to give you a little detail it's a cooperative trick-taking game where you go on missions you're playing like a standard game of trying to win hands of cards except you're trying to make particular people win particular things over 50 missions of like increasingly weird and demanding logic puzzles that are just randomly mixed up by dealing the by shuffling the cards and putting them in front of you. And it's great. I haven't played half as much as the crew as you have over, but um, the thing that I like is because it's it's instant fail, right? If, you know, the card comes out that some player around the table has to win, you know, if that's your objective, oh, you know, Ava has to win this card or the round where this card, the trick where this card appears. It's like, if you do that, great. If you fail that, then we all lose instantly. So when... I start playing the crew. It feels like me and all my friends are like stepping out onto a frozen lake, which is like cracking below us. <laughs> you know, it's that idea of like, what we don't quite know what's going to happen. We don't quite know how to do this, but we know that if we screw up, we all lose. It's like, it, it's a, it's an immediate sense of excitement. It's perfect. A, it's perfect, isn't it? There's such like a, a weight to every move because of that. But also there's almost no weight to it in terms of, in terms of stress. Because all that happens is it's like, oh no, we've missed it. 
you get all of that stress you release it and you just shuffle and you just start playing again and it's yeah it's got such a good rhythm to it because of that um and yeah i like i'm on i'm i have been a fan of quite a few over the last like year and a half two years i've kind of got increasingly interested in trick-taking games and the weird ways that people make them be interesting and all of it is about like most of them they're kind of gambling games where it's all about can you make a decision and then can you make sure you win the right amount of things without winning too many and it just flips that into something like much simpler and by making it cooperative by making it just like a right we've got these tasks we know how to do this can i get into all of your brains enough and it's not just a question of winning or losing it's a question of organizing the information that you share and that you can't entirely directly communicate with each other and just just having those having that shared puzzle around a table pulls everyone in and I don't know, I feel like I've fallen in love with everyone I've played it with because it's so, <laughs> so like, I don't know. It just makes you feel really close with the people around the table. And like, that is the best thing that a game can do. And I cannot wait to put it in front of more people and have that experience of just being like, I'm going to have some really intense feelings with you while we all do maths together. <laughs> I- <laughs> I, I do think that some of the big co-op games that, you know, like define the genre, um, you know, things like Pandemic, um, don't have, yeah, what you described that, I love you. You know, <laughs> I, I, that's something I described when um, talking about ghost stories, you know, early in Shut Up and Sit Down's history, you know, ghost stories being this very difficult Antoine Bowser designed cooperative game. Oh, now, now re-released under the name The Last Bastion. But one of my defining memories of that is, you know, if someone takes on a ghost or a monster, and rolls the dice and kills it or does some clever combination of moves it's that oh my god i could kiss you right <laughs> you know which is so absent from pandemic because you know what someone's going to do i mean you know it's it's pandemic is a game of all open information unless it's not a player's turn yeah and is this thing with 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 the crew there's a time when you're you're uncertain and you're like you, you you've got a chunk of information like you've dealt the deck between four players or whatever and each of you has a quarter of the information that you need and those conversations about like i think we've lost it i think we've lost it i don't think we can do this and then other someone else going no we've got this we've got this we've got this <laughs> and whether they've got it or not it's wonderful <laughs> <laughs> it's fun to be wrong it's fun to be right it's it's beautiful to succeed it's hilarious to fail i remember when we played it i think I think I was adamant that we've, we've got this. We've still got this. And like, just, we just didn't at all. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, that's a, that's, a, that's a fantastic answer. That's a banging little game. Yeah, it's a much better answer than mine. So yeah, great stuff. Oh, but yours was the most real answer. You're like the... As always though, slightly too real. <laughs> I'm really excited for this podcast to go out and people to be like, great, you've picked no game. The Crew, a game that came out in 2019. <laughs> Thousand Year Vampire, a game which I also think might have actually come out in 2019. It's also not a board not game. Not a board game. <laughs> <laughs> what a great game of the year podcast. Quinns, uh, can you save us with a relevant hot choice for 2020? I'll tell you what. Uh, my heart sank when Ava said that their choice had come out in 2019 uh, because my choice... Also technically came out in 2019. <laughs> a Game of the Year podcast where no games came out this year. <laughs> I, w- yes. Well, that's just on brand for us, isn't it? <laughs> um, this is a game that I, like Ava, had just a- a- an incredible time with. Um, it, Like Ava, this was something I played just before board gaming went, uh, well, before sort of 
life flipped the table on us. Uh, no, I hate that. I hate that. I hate that. I said that. Um, uh, um, but so this was a review we published in February. My game of 2020 is The King's Dilemma. Oh, right. Yeah. You see that? That's the sort of game what, which I'm like probably would have been mine, but I haven't. It's on my. I looked at it in my cupboard and I'm like, yeah, that's apparently amazing. I don't know what I'm gonna yeah like this is the thing is like I just looked at my collection of games that I've got new games this year and it just made me angry about not being able to play anymore it's fine I think that's going to be reflected by that's an experience that is going to be shared by so many oh yeah absolutely I, honestly I got to start playing a bit of Pandemic Legacy Season 0 over the past uh, month I got to have a, a couple of good sessions of that and yeah that's just been amazing but it's like I feel like I've been looking forward to that for like 7 or 8 months <laughs> um <laughs> uh, i think well i will i'll say this about the king's dilemma well i don't think any of the three of you have played it i have um which is oh tom oh of course yeah, you I did quite yes. a bit it's great oh lovely <laughs> uh it is great so i think for me the reason this is my game of 20 is not just 2020 is not just because it was maybe the most fun that i had um it's because it's the most unusual and innovative game I played this year. Mm. Like the crew is a great choice, but you know, of course it owes a lot to trick-taking games, you know, and of which it is kind of similar. It's a little similar to Hanabi almost. What? No, I hate Hanabi. Don't say that. <laughs> we all hate Hanabi, but you can, you know, to an outside observer. Anyway, <sighs> you know, Cracks of Quedlinburg is a, is a push your luck game. Thousand year old vampire. I mean, I don't know actually anything about that. The point is that the King's Dilemma is unlike anything I've played. And if people haven't seen my review or have forgotten all about it, it's basically a game where all the players, it's a legacy game, a campaign game. So it's, you're going to play with the same group, ideally of four or five players. So that's quite specific. But my goodness, it's worth it. This is a campaign where you all play the subsequent generations of advisors to a royal family. So it's sort of like you all play, you know, Littlefinger, the equivalent of Littlefinger and, you know, Cersei and other people who hang around at court representing their family. Because when you start the game, you all pick your personal private family. Um, I picked, oh goodness me, who did I pick? I think I, oh yeah, the grumpy people who think that life is too short because they spend all their t life working <laughs> um, and are looking for a, a cure for immortality. Um, yeah, it's, anyway, but then the game that, it, the way it's played is a card will come out of the game's big dilemma deck and it'll land in the middle of the table and it's a dilemma that you all have to advise the king on. So it's like, oh, you know, uh, my son wants to marry one of those barbarians in the north. Do we think that's a good idea? Yes, no. And then you play something like poker with you all going around the table with you all investing political power into voting yay or nay. Or you can pass. You can say, I'm not going to be involved in this decision. And that's a way to regain power. But something that was just that was side splittingly funny in our game. And I've heard is quite common in other people's sort of games of the King's Dilemma. People will think a vote's going to go, so, go a certain way. There's no way we're going to go to war. I'm going to pass and get power back. And then you realize you've passed and some of the players around the table don't actually share your interests. And now you're not involved in the most important decision of your <laughs> lifetime because you decided to go and get a coffee, basically. Um, but the thing that's so exciting about the King's Dilemma is you never play the same dilemma twice. Every dilemma, depending on whether you vote yay or nay for it, um, will introduce new dilemmas into the deck. We'll take it, the, the story doesn't fork dramatically, but certainly as you make decisions, there are lots of decisions you will never see because your story doesn't go that way. Um, I will say I didn't finish The King's Dilemma and I don't care because I got like, people will say, oh, but is that, does it have a good or bad ending? I didn't even get to the ending and that was still a rich and rewarding and satisfying experience for me. Even just tuning in briefly to the story that the game tells was 
just fine by me. I didn't finish the King's Dilemma, and I do care because <laughs> that's a more reasonable response th- that game is is it's so i guess the reason i almost discounted it because playing that game literally felt like a lifetime ago um i know i couldn't when i was researching this uh game of 2020 i wasn't even sure if i'd reviewed it this year it turns out i'd reviewed it in february my goodness like because because the thing the thing about king's dilemma is that i played this with uh my friends while i was still in uni accommodation uh when i was in my student house with them <laughs> and I think that what makes that so distressing is the fact that like I'm never going to be able to see the end of that campaign because everyone went to their different corners of the world uh never to see each other ever again. No, that's hyperbolic, but <laughs> everyone obviously That's a, that's kind of the plot of oh, sorry. Whoa, it's kind of the plot of King's Dilemma. <laughs> um we all we all moved away to all kinds of different places and we're never going to have that same bubble of sitting in the same place and being able to have that immediate like oh do you want to play a game king's dilemma tonight let's gather the troops and sit around a table i mean is this something where i I mean i don't i shouldn't get you i shouldn't get you to put this on record but i'm going to ask it anyway is (laughs) do you like those people enough to be like hey maybe once a year we should get together and play this game of until course we get I to the end of it <laughs> the problem being though is i just don't i just feel like you know people's lives are, it's so difficult to get people in that space and also like i feel like there's so many games that i want to show them in that space you yeah. know it's going to be so fleetingly rare to have that exact same group of like because we we broke the king's dilemma because we started it as a five-person campaign and then as people started to see what we were doing we sort of tacked in anyone that was sort of coming through the house they would be allowed to join in as well so we'd have sort of six seven eight nine players what <laughs> well we just because we just made people would just couple up and it was great because you'd have that same decision you know you're doing the same thing effectively you're just sort of telling a story together or guiding a story together but more people get to share in that in that get to swim in those waters get to have a little bowl of that soup and it kind of makes sense doesn't it because if you're actually families rather than like while you're supposed to be playing one person in a generation like you can totally be like two siblings from that family who are vying for control of that family and then advising the thing like one of my favorite things that happened in that game is uh one of my friends was sitting next to their partner and they they sort of declared we're gonna go to war and then their partner whispered there and went okay we're not (laughs) just that little (laughs) moment of the whisper and then the immediate diversion was so beautiful that was was very much like my experience playing uh twilight imperium 4 in teams which was again either the start (laughs) of this year or last year hey maybe twilight imperium 4 is my game of the year i don't like uh uh, i'm just having a wonderful thing of having like a long discussion with somebody about like yeah peace peace and then them like talking to like talking turning to their partner and having their partner whisper in their ear and then turning around back to me and go oh no no, we're at war. <laughs> it's just like what? 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 It's just like entire peace process straight in the bin. Gave it a little bit of a mega game feel, of being like, "What's going on?" <laughs> I, uh, I, I will say that um, if I mean, I, I hope that there's, um, if not a direct sequel to the King's Dilemma, um, you know, that someone else, you know, picks up that thread and does more with that kind of game system. Because one of the few criticisms now with hindsight I can level at it is one of the best moments in it is when a dilemma comes up that specifically refers to where one of your families is from. So it's much easier if I just pretend it's the Game of Thrones universe, which is not, but then I can use descriptions that people might 
understand. <laughs> but it's like some of the dilemmas are literally, ah, yeah, there is an invasion force massing on, you know, the West or like specifically in, you know, Lannisport or whatever. And then if one of your players is from the Lannisters, it's like, what? <laughs> and then we would naturally end up, A, laughing so much. That dilemma became hilarious. That player would often, you know, obviously become invested in rebuffing the invasion force from their hometown. But because the game has like 12 or 15 different families you can play and the designers had no intention of making any of the dilemmas actually affect you based on region, none of that is actually shows up in the game at all. It's mm -hmm. just stuff to role play on. It's, they, the location names could be anywhere. And that is such a shame because those were almost always the funniest and most exciting dilemmas when they specifically related to one of our families, but they never actually had a mechanical impact, which was mm -hmm. a shame. But um, one thing I did realize is that if I think that King's Dilemma is my game of 2020 and that my game of 2019 was Blood on the Clock Tower, my favorite game of 2018 might have been Sidereal Confluence. I think I might just like talking to the other players. Like, <laughs> I think I might like that is people. A, like, uh... well, this is it. <laughs> I wrote this down because, so like, yeah, I like people and I like my friends, obviously, but it makes me wonder that if you really want to stand out in this marketplace, if a board game publisher wants to put out a game which has a good chance of being so truly magical that it can be called the game of 2020, I do think that The King's Dilemma, Blood on the Clock Tower, and Scenario Confluence all show that the way to do that is to design a game that makes the most of the players at the table, is to empower people and create social situations that... Because, I mean, we can all talk about how amazing, I don't know, Beyond the Sun is or, you know, City of the Big Shoulders or Brass Birmingham. But I could never imagine a Euro game, no matter how good, be being my game of the year. Despite the fact that they're maybe the genre of game that I've played the most in 2020. Yeah. And this comes back to exactly what I was talking about earlier, really, of the fact that, yeah, games that uh, best utilize the, the most exciting component of board games, which are humans are the ones which which are the best the ones that are most interesting most exciting the ones you want to play the most you want to, the ones you want to show people um and so yeah i think it, i think it's interesting and i think the reason that sure you know we we will get a bit of stick from uh the parts of the industry that are more interested in the kind of like euroy crunchy puzzle stuff but as i think it should be clear to anyone who's actually been paying attention by now we love that stuff as well right um mm. we like both sides of the the onion we like the people stuff and the puzzle stuff you know <laughs> and when you can merge the people and the puzzle wonderful but i think that's it this year yeah it's not been a people year it's been a puzzle year. <laughs> yeah and that again has been why i feel like my my whole critical eye has just been tainted by that because there are no good tools for spending time with people digitally like the best you can get oh, is sitting and playing something like destiny 2 on playstation and just chatting nothing while shooting <laughs> things in the head like that we have very poor um very poor tools for like online communication and because of that i just, I just haven't been trying i've just been like you know what the best online game service is board game arena because it doesn't <laughs> try and emulate any of that stuff it just accepts that it can't and just lets you do a puzzle. Matt, you're so right. This is a puzzle year and not a people year. But now I've got that sinking feeling in my stomach. This is the year where I reviewed Eclipse 2nd Edition and chose to send you my copy of Twilight Imperium 4. <laughs> Eclipse is a puzzle game, not a people well, game. Well, hang on. Of course I haven't, I, I haven't received it yet. So you haven't... I no, no, it's... No, it's... Sort of, but, <laughs> <laughs> it, it will go to you because I said it would in the review and I know that our audience actually holds me to task <laughs> in that stuff. God bless them. It's true. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, 
if I'd been able to, because I had to, oh, yeah, my playtesting of Eclipse Second Edition was robust, but none of it was under ideal circumstances. Yes, I can imagine. Um, but Twilight Imperium Fourth Edition is a game that makes the most of people and cultures and aliens and chatting and negotiation and diary rooms and alliances. Whereas Eclipse Second Edition is just like a, a hellaciously wicked and sharp and balanced space puzzle. Yeah. So yeah, I might well have to. Uh, it'll be interesting to see thinking about how those two games compare as we go into uh, twenty twenty. Exactly. I, I just don't. I just don't trust myself in the same way that you know you you can. I think maybe because my mood is erratic enough because I have you know like I'm having a big old IBS week this week and I'm just aware that like if my mood is a bit off, it's often really off and it affects my ability to engage with and enjoy everything I normally would um, in a normal fashion. I've just become way more distrusting of my own like eye on things. I'm like, hey, is this good? <laughs> or am I just having a great day? Or is this bad? Or am I just having a bad day? And really, there's no getting to the bottom of that. That's just a, you can't stare into that abyss for too long because that's just like being a critic. It's all just nonsense, isn't it? Um, but I think this year particularly <laughs> has been very much like, are the things I like actually things I would normally like or have time yes. for? Like I've got really into watching Come Dine With Me. And I would that wouldn't have happened without a pandemic. I can assure you. My best board game of 2020 yep. is Come Dine With Me. Come Dine With <laughs> Me. Hey, let's end this podcast by... I, I just have one question I want to put to you three. Because pr prior to 2020, all of us... Have, there's been a running joke on Shadowbins and Down that we would not really be interested in covering solo games which is board games and card games that only take one player that you play by yourself because why not just play a video game? Now we've kind of been forced to all dabble in one-player games. Is that something we think we will keep doing after... Assuming that life returns to semi-normality after, you know, the vaccine program has uh, uh, done no, its thing? No, not for me. I've, I've, really, I've really enjoyed playing under falling skies um, partially just because it's a really solid thematic puzzle, partially because I love XCOM and yeah I, I i playing that and looking at it it's like undeniably a great thing that really entertained me but it really entertained me um as a proxy for <laughs> for being able to play a board game with other people but i know that some people love them and that's fine but i really in the same way that at the moment board game arena is providing a service i think that for me it's not going to be a permanent thing I would say a little bit. Uh, in <laughs> half, the sense, medium. Yeah, half, medium, medium solo game. Uh, no, I think that the, the two criteria under which solo games, I think, would be, will be useful in next year. The first one is because I think the first condition is that solo games are really, really great for um, solo RPGs specifically are really good for sort of a mental spring cleaning and they're such useful you know as we said earlier just points at which you can creatively express yourself without having to worry about it being a piece of work that's thing number one and thing number two is is you know you've spent a million years looking at a screen potentially time to do a roll and write on your own and just have that nice feeling of putting pencil to paper and maybe watching a nice little YouTube video or listening to a podcast such as this while you do so but I mm don't think even just a little dabble into the world of like proper game games that are solo games i think that i'm i appreciate that they're there and i appreciate that they're there for people that need them and i appreciate that they're for people who enjoy them but i ultimately find solo games just to feel like i'm lacking in the same way that i find 
playing a board game online, lacking of the human component. Obviously, solo RPGs are a, a greater extension of or solo games are a greater extension of that. Yeah. How about you, Ava? I mean, I've played uh, less, done less solo gaming during the pandemic than I did before, but I was already doing quite <laughs> a small amount. I haven't actually done any because, like, for me, the pandemic has been like definitely isolating but but i've been so busy so steadily throughout like there's always been so if i've got some time on my own and i could be doing a solo rpg the odds are i'm going to be lying down um (laughs) um so i haven't i haven't i think occasionally i will feel the urge i think at one point i want to try some more of the i want to try some of the solo rpg stuff because i think that that could be really good for my head um, I probably will continue to every now and then treat myself to a game of Mage Knight on my own because I find <laughs> that incredibly soothing and I know yeah. that's ridiculous. <laughs> no, I think, I think that's it. For, for me, it's like um, I can absolutely see the rhythm of the thing being quite a nice, gentle, therapeutic thing. I just personally mm. feel that, that that's not exactly... It's one of the things I go to board games for, but it's not the thing. Um, sure. And if I if I really want to do that then what I will more likely do is go and make some soup. And the great thing about that is at the end of it, you've got some soup. And also, like, you know, being an adult who is, like, doing my fair share of cooking and cleaning all that stuff in in life, you have to keep making soup. Otherwise, you can't eat. So it's for me, it's like in a a toss-up between solo games and soup. Like, it's soup just wins hands down every time for me. But at the same time, like, it's not being dismissive. I think it's like, for me, solo games this year have been a bit like when you go to another country and that you're encouraged to try the speciality food um, that they have. Yes. And you think, you know what? I don't really like this kind of thing normally, but I'm here. I've got to try it. And then you try it and you go, yeah, it's okay. Or like, yeah, this is nice. But like, are you going to go and keep buying it when you go home? Maybe not. I will mention one thing. I, I haven't said this uh, on Shut Up It's a Down before, but I this year played a solo game of the new big box Uwe Rosenberg game, Hallertau, which is, you know, all, it's a it's a big Uwe Rosenberg game. It's about growing beer and hops in some kind of hop-growing region of Germany. And I really enjoyed it. Uwe Rosenberg makes really good one-player board games, but there was a sense of dread accompanying it because I did really well in my solo game of Hallertau. And then I thought, wait, this isn't good. When I teach this game to anybody, I'm just going to wipe the floor with them. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's like, I can't play it solo again because, yeah. It's It's like back in the day when, like, you know, you get Super Smash Brothers, the N64, and you want to unlock all the characters before your friends turned up so you could play with different characters. But in doing so, you'd have to become proficient at the game. (laughs) Absolute nightmare. Oops. I think it's weird because I kind of had a similar thing with Le Havre where I, I... played that absolutely loved played it with multiple people absolutely loved it was so into it that i was like right actually i'm gonna try this solo and play it on my own played it solo absolutely loved it but realized that if i carried on doing that i wouldn't be able to show it to people anymore because i would have <laughs> used up the puzzle in my brain and i would be like oh no i've kind of got this now it's less interesting and i'm like no never again i'm gonna wait until this. i can put this in front of people and yeah, you know, I think it's just this at the time of recording, it's just at the very uh, cap of 2020. And I am looking forward to 2021. And I think that uh, hopefully we'll be in a situation where I'll be able to actually play some of these games in my cupboard uh, sooner rather than later. So uh, I hope that everyone else is feeling equally upbeat about what is going to be a tricky start to the year for many, I think. But hopefully in the long run, a better year. 
Hey, I've got some good news for everybody. Uh, anyone who's watched my last few reviews will know that I've had some fun squeezing myself into a big cardboard box. I bought some shelves yesterday. They came in a cardboard box so big, I can fit the other box into <laughs> this box. And the number of jokes I'm going to be able to do with that in 2021, oh it's just going to be off the chain. <laughs> Uh, so that that's something good we can all look forward to. Boxes, boxes, uh, boxes. Game twenty twenty is a box. Yeah. Uh, how are we going to end this? I don't know. Difficult... I think we need to say to people, look, twenty twenty one is starting. The first bit of it is probably going to be a bit rubbish, but hopefully in the springtime, we're going to see you. <laughs> And that, <laughs> that sounds like that sounds like a promise slash a threat. Uh, so I think what we should say at this point is um, one of the things we're doing. If you saw the video we put out at the end of last year, where we explained to people what our plan for this year is, our devious evil plan, uh, alongside the post where we asked everyone if they wanted to donate to keep the site going and growing and being good and all that, we decided it was going to be that every week we were going to have a new video, every week we are going to have a stream, and every week we were going to have a podcast. And you can hopefully not hold us too strongly, but we're going to try our hardest to do those things, which means this podcast is now a weekly podcast. So usually we can end this podcast by usually having a bit where we'd say we'll be back in a couple of but we can say that's all for this week and we'll see you next week Good. Oh, it just trips off the it's tongue easy, doesn't it? easy peasy goodbye everybody Bye. goodbye Bye.